everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Practicology Podcast where we want to help bridge the gap between scripture and everyday life and to help us see the practical impact on our thinking and living today flowing out of the rich theology of God's glorious revelation. This is episode 29 on the Practicology Podcast, the third episode of our special series going through Psalm 103, part of our August Summer Challenge. Hopefully many of you are making the effort to memorize this psalm with us. Please remember to keep working at it and to share with us your thoughts in our various social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, and on Twitter at M&M's Podcast. We would be grateful for your interaction. Our co-host, Mike Knox, is going to quote from memory without peeking this week's section now for the benefit of any who are not memorizing it and for the encouragement of us all. Go for it, Mike. Yes, Matthew, but before I do, I want to quote a line from J.I. Packer just to whet your appetite for what we're talking about in this episode. Here, here's his quote. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Yeah, I remember that quote as well, very fresh in my memory from reading through that a little while ago, and that really stuck with me too. Isn't that great? Well, now I'll try and quote Psalm 103 here for you, Matthew. And and as you're listening, just keep your ears tuned for any mention of the fatherliness of God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Very good. Thank you, Mike. You you did say he removes our transgressions from him, but it's our transgressions from us. But I think you know that that's just a little slip up, that that's okay. Ah, yes. Thank you for being gracious and merciful, Matthew. That was a kind touch up there. I think I went a verse over too, but that's all right. Maybe made up for my mistake. All right. One of the benefits of memorizing a psalm like this is it helps you understand and interpret it. Maybe one night you start going over it again as you're trying to get to sleep and you notice something. In verses one to five, David is talking to himself as we already covered in our first episode on this. Then in six to 19, he starts talking to the believing community. Notice, instead of saying the Lord forgives all of David's sins, as he would have in verses 1 to 5, he now says he does not deal with us according to our sins. And then you come to the last three verses, 20 to 22, and there's a third change. He starts by talking to the whole created universe, as you're going to explain in a couple episodes, Matthew. So there's just a quick little breakdown for you. And the midpoint of the psalm is verse 11, the first verse for this week's memory section. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Those are helpful observations, Mike. Thank you for that breakdown. And I just have a simple observation of my own to make. This verse that you said is the midpoint is also the high point, as high as the heavens are above the earth. And this verse begins with the word for, so. Yes, yes, which means we need to look at the previous verse to get the context. That's verse 10, which says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. So the focus is on how God's merciful and gracious nature responds to our sins. 
and praise God, Scripture says, He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not act toward us in accordance with what we deserve. He doesn't give us our just desserts. Why? Well, because of our verse, verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Yeah, and I feel like I'm in a bit of a role here now, Mike, so just let me point out another observation. The repetition of the word as in your quotation and in my reading, as high, then in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Then verse 13, as, as the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He's making some helpful comparisons for us there. Yeah, am I doing this episode or are you, Matthew? Just kidding. You're, you're right on again. And let me just add one more. Uh, verse 11 gives us the vertical axis, the Y axis, talking about the height of God's love for us. But verse 12 goes to the other plane. It gives us the horizontal X axis. The distance between East and West is the distance God has removed our sins from us. So verse 10 says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Verse 11 explains why he doesn't, because of how much he loves us. And verse 12 says how he can get away, if you will, with not dealing with us according to our sins. How? How can he do that? Well, because he's removed our sins away from us. So do you see how the word of God is just straining to assure us of God's loving mercy to us in the matter of our sins? We feel our sin towering up above our heads. And the Holy Spirit says, no, his eternal covenantal unchanging love is what towers over your head. We think, oh, my sin and dirt, how can its penalty be gone when its presence is so near and frequent in my life? And God says, I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. Yeah, your mention of the X and Y axis reminds me of math class in school particularly the one year of school I did in San Antonio, Texas, but that's a story for another time. But in Mrs. Tolliver's algebra class, I think it was, when we drew graphs, we often put arrows on the ends of the axis to indicate a continuation, an ongoingness. And hey, scientists tell us the universe is continuing or it's expanding. Mike, I'm just enjoying thinking. I mean, no matter how many light years a Christian astronaut could travel in a spaceship up or down, she would never reach the end of God's love. No matter how far a Christian circumnavigator traveled east or west, he would never catch back up to his sins. Isn't it beautiful? But it even gets better. Yes, our God is immeasurably loving and gracious to us in regard to our sins and failings. But you pointed out another as, Matthew. In verse 13, David tells the community of believers that our God is a gracious father to us, not only regarding what we've done, our sin, but also in regard to who and what we are, our state of weakness and frailty. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And the next verse says that word for again, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Well, verse 15 explains that further. As for man, his days are like grass. We're sort of in a mini drought right now, and our grass is dead and brown. That's, that's like us. Our days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. But jumping ahead to, to verse 17, in contrast to the frailty of human beings, 
The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And Mike, I know that you and I, we've just said this at the beginning, we take a lot of comfort and enjoyment from this father-children imagery, but uh, could be some listening today and they feel some uneasiness about that or they experience an inner resistance based on their own experience. So what can you say to them? Well, the Lord's given me awareness of maybe two kinds of Christians for whom this truth of the fatherhood of God is is not immediately comforting. Uh, so let me address the first sort of situation I'm aware of, and that is some of you may have a negative or even a non-existent relationship with your earthly father. The relationship that you did have could could have ranged from his being abusive to simply being withdrawn and disinterested. And this is so hard, I, I can't enter into it. This is not describing my experience at all. But I do know enough to say you're not alone. Tragically, this sort of father-child relationship is, is quite common, it seems. And many who have written about it ha- have used the term father hunger. There is a father hunger in us. We all hunger for the love of a loving father. And I wonder if it would help you to remember that here in Psalm 103, David is not comparing God to a broken or abusive or a withdrawn type of fatherhood, but to the ideal earthly father. Maybe you could think about Rick Hoyt, diagnosed with cerebral palsy at birth. Later, he wanted to participate in, in races, and his father, Dick Hoyt, who was not a runner, had compassion on him. And he he got into it. He started training and they actually competed in marathons and triathlons. And for the triathlon, I, you, you can watch a video. It's on, on YouTube. He The father swims the, the swimming part of the triathlon, pulling his son in a boat. And then he, he puts him in a chair and carries him uh, on the bike, bicycling the, 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 the cycle portion of the race. And then for the running part of the race, he pushes him. He runs pushing him in, in a wheelchair. And I cannot watch or read about this father-son team without crying. This is surely an example of the ideal father whose son's wounds are not the result of his father's mistreatment, but rather the very thing that draws out his father's compassion. And Psalm 103 says, The Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, has fatherly compassion on you like that. The word in Hebrew is from the the womb, the womb uh, word group. It's used in 1 Kings 3.26 of a mother's yearning for her son. Alec Matir paraphrases it, therefore, this way. He says, like a father has a mother's passionate love for his sons. Hmm. Which leads me to maybe the second kind of Christian who internally resists this sort of imagery. Maybe there's others listening and you feel this is just too sappy and sentimental. This is too warm and and gushy and feely-feely. I mean, God is sovereign and transcendent after all. Or, or you think, how can God, who's holy, have such compassion welling up within him for sinners like us? No, no, he, he stiff arms us. All this talk of God having a, a motherly, passionate, yearning love for us is going way too far. But remember our first episode in this series, talk to yourself. The truth of scripture, say it to yourself. It's the Bible that's saying this. Yes, he is holy and righteous and transcendent. How do we know? By the same Bible that says he shows compassion to us like a father to his child. Yeah, that's good, Mike. Thank you. And I hope that response to my question is pastorally helpful to those who struggle with this a little. 
as you talked about Rick Hoyt, that was a great story, and uh, his cerebral palsy. Uh, my eyes glance down to the next verse. Why is our God compassionate like a father to us? For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, whether we had cerebral palsy or not. We are all dust. It sounds like Rick's father knows his son's frame and weakness and adjusts his expectation and support accordingly. How do you see the Lord doing the same for us? I love that question. Uh, yeah, this is Genesis 2 language. God remembers our day of birth. He formed us in Genesis 2. He fashioned Adam from the dust of the earth. He knows how weak and dependent we are. He knows our days are like grass. They're numbered. Here today, dead tomorrow. And it is our very weakness and dependency and vulnerability and createdness that draws out his compassion toward us. What this means is that God's expectations for us are likely a lot more realistic than ours are. He remembers what we constantly forget, that we are dust. When we let our minds wander in prayer, we scold ourselves. He has compassion on us. When we fall behind in, in the upkeep of our home or car or health, we become impatient with ourselves. He remembers that we are dust. When our joy dries up, our faith wavers, our gratitude wanes, we panic and question whether we're saved, he bears in mind that we're human. When we forget most of what we learned in a book or a sermon or, or course that we attended, we, we get frustrated with our weakness, he is completely understanding. When we get so sick that we find it impossible to focus on the words of his Bible, he cares for us. Are we the ones right? in our stern reactions to ourselves and, and he's the one that's wrong? God forbid. A few years ago, I, I never would have thought I'd say something like this, but I, I think there is a case to be made that sometimes some of us need to show ourselves a, a little bit of compassion uh, to, to the parent who's maybe beating herself up for not planning enough things for her children and so on. to maybe the single believer who's, who's struggling with things and, and a perfectionist perhaps, and, and you're not getting everything right, I think you can cut yourself a little slack. You're dust. You're human. What would we expect? It's, it's good, Mike. What you said is very good. I mean, I just think in my own experience coming to grips with my own weakness has been a process, but I'm learning. Of course, we also come to grips more with the sinful flesh within uh, we come to grips, well, a little bit with, with aging as well and weakness and challenges that come with that. And God knows all about that. You're right. And God is understanding. He, he's a perfect father. And this is the same God revealed in the coming of Christ when our Lord Jesus had compassion on the widow whose son had died. Notice in that story, the Lord's focus isn't actually on the son, but on the woman, the mother. He had compassion on the leper who was sick and alienated, on the people when they had no shepherd. So that's going to lead me now to a final question for you, Mike. How does seeing Christ in this psalm bring out even more of the psalm's beauties? Hmm. The coming of the Son of God into our world has revealed a wonderful truth to us. God isn't just like a father, as Psalm 103 says. He is a father, as the whole New Testament says. The fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God means that God is eternally a Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You and I became fathers, Matthew, when our firstborn children were born. God never became a Father. He is a Father. There's never been a moment in which God was not the Father of His Son. 
He is fatherly, loving, full of affection for his son. How high is his love for us? As high as the heavens are above the earth. That's the very distance the Son of God traveled to become our Savior. He gave his only begotten Son to die on the cross in order to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. And now God isn't just like a father to us. Because of his Son's work, he is our Father, and we are his children, the objects of his passionate love and care. Oh yes, he is compassionate to us. He knows our frame, not just because he's our creator and he remembers how he made us, but especially now because he's our redeemer, because the son, his son, knows firsthand what it is to be fully human. The Lord Jesus has the inside knowledge, if you will, on what it is like to be tired, to be hungry, thirsty, and weak. He even knows what it is to die, but now he's risen and ascended back into the glad presence of his father. How does the Father remember that we are dust? Well, how could he forget? There, right in front of him, in his presence, is the man, Christ Jesus, ever reminding the Father not only that we are his, but also that we are human. So listen, if, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, God wants to remove from you and from me all notions that his thoughts are hard towards us, that his demeanor towards us is mean and cruel. He declares his mercy and grace to Israel even after they rebel at the golden calf in Exodus. He has compassion on our mortality and dyingness. Even though man's death is due to our having sinned, our Father is compassionate and loving to us. In fact, Thomas Goodwin, the Puritan, was so bold that he was willing to put it this way. He said, your very sins move him to pity more than to anger. And this is what Goodwin said. He says, Christ takes part with you and is so far from being provoked against you as all his anger is turned upon your sin to ruin it. Yes, his pity is increased the more towards you, even as the heart of a father is to a child that has some loathsome disease, or as one is to a member of his body that hath the leprosy, he hates not the member for it is his own flesh but he hates the disease and that provokes him to pity the part affected the more. Uh, if you can handle just a little bit more, Goodwin says, now of all miseries, sin is the greatest and Christ loving your person and hating only the sin, his hatred shall all fall and that only upon the sin to free you of it by its ruin and destruction. But his bow shall be the more drawn out to you. And this is as much when you lie under sin as under any other affliction. Therefore, fear not what shall separate us from Christ's love. But we need to preach this to ourselves over and over and, and be in the meetings of the church to hear preaching like this that reminds us of this truth. Again, just to close with going back to J.A. Packer. Packer says, this is what we need to say to ourselves. I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day near." Say it over and over to yourself, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, as you wait for the bus, any time when your mind is free, and ask that you may be enabled to live as one who knows it is all utterly and completely true. This is the Christian secret of a Christian life. Amen. And listeners, I think you should back up this podcast about three or four minutes there and just listen to Mike again as he brings out from 
the theology of the eternal sonship and eternal fatherhood of God, eternal sonship of Christ and eternal fatherhood of God, and brings a, a contemporary practical application for our thinking and lives today. And that's what we're all about at the Practicology Podcast. Thank you for that, Mike. Hey, I noticed one qualifier in some of these wonderful verses in Psalm 103. I just want you to touch on here before you wrap things up. The Lord is compassionate to those who fear him. Now, maybe that causes a little uh, nibble of doubt in some of us. What if I'm not fearing God properly? Then do I not qualify for the promise of his compassion? And which is it anyways? Is God someone to be feared or a father to trust and adore? Yeah, that's uh, a great question, Matthew, and one that we won't have time to address now, but let's save it for next episode where we'll devote the entire thing to try and understand what the Bible means by fearing God. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. You've given us something to look forward to. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Keep memorizing Psalm 103. Remember to get the download on verse memorization from the website, practicologypodcast.com. If you haven't already, keep sharing some of the fruits of your own study with us on the various social media accounts, and we'll look forward to having you with us next time. Thanks for listening. Yes, and if you're a bit behind, just remember, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Take care, everyone.